Radio Zoom 147. From Vancouver into the world, into the world. podcasting for the hell of it. This is Radio Zoom. Hi, this is Rebecca from Mystic604.com. Picking up the Radio Zoom podcast a few months since our last episode, but nonetheless, we're still producing some content here. And I thought a great interview for me to do would be with Mark Latham of Voter Media. Several blogs around Vancouver have been added to the Vancouver Election Blog Contest at votermedia.org slash van. And will you vote for the, the blog that you think is covering the issues and, and the topics of the day? And when they earn certain points and certain slots on the list, they get paid out just right from Mark himself. So I decided to sit down with him and find out just exactly what this Vancouver election blog contest is, what it's all about, and a little bit more about him. Basically it started 20 years ago. At that time, I was a specialist. I had studied uh, finance investments. Um, I was teaching it at Berkeley. And I was having dinner with an old friend. Are you friend. from California? Uh, I'm from here, actually. Okay. Grew up in Burnaby. Nice. Um, I went to UBC, did a bachelor's in math, and then got interested in business and finance and did a, a master's in finance there. I did a PhD in the States. And so I was down there, yeah, 20 years ago. And having dinner with an old friend, and he was working at a large company and telling me about some stuff the board of directors was doing that didn't seem right didn't follow our models. We had been taught these models that companies are supposed to invest in profitable things. And this board seemed to be investing things that were their own pet projects and were not good for the shareholders, but were good for the board. Um, and so, you know, there's some conflicts of interest there and they seem to be violating their official duties, but nobody could really notice and they could get away with it. And it seemed, I suspected that was a broad problem. This was 20 years ago, long before Enron and stuff like that. But, you know, I'd heard of stuff like that before. But when hearing it from a friend of mine who was watching it, um, bothered me more. And so I tried to come up, and it looked to me like the systems that shareholders have in large corporations for keeping track of what the board is doing were not very good. The average, you could buy some shares in the company as an investment. You, with those shares, you have a vote. You can vote for the board, but really, you have no clue what they're doing, good or bad. You don't know if you should get rid of the board or the board's doing fine. You don't know. And so I suspected that this kind of story I was hearing was probably common. Um, and so, as a trained financial economist, I thought, you know, maybe there's a way to design a solution for this. And so I thought up this way for informing share owners if they could somehow hire some external groups, specialists, firms, whatever, to keep an eye on the board and report to them, board is good or bad, that would help. Um, and for that to work, they would have to pay them. You know, I, I viewed it as a, as a professional role. And, and for that to work, they would have to pay them really out of corporate funds. The only way to, for that to be really effective. Because if you, one person buys some cash, you don't have enough of a stake to want to pay out of your own money. But all collectively, you have a big stake. So it makes sense to pay for that kind of service out of your collective funds. So the question is, how can you do that? Because normally, the collective funds are controlled by the board. So that's a no-go right from the start. Because they're not going to approve it that payment. So, but 
if you you could actually create a new corporate bylaw that would set aside a few thousand dollars and let the share owners do that. Now, for the share owners to do that, they'd have to have a vote taken. You know, the share owners are scattered. How can they make any decision? That's why they have a board. Um, so it almost seems like a catch twenty two in a couple of ways. Like, how can you solve this? Actually, it can be solved, and that idea in corporate politics is a prototype of what you see me doing now here in Vancouver. So, you know, at the time when I thought that up, I thought it must be a lousy idea because if it was a good idea, we'd already be doing it, and it seemed actually pretty simple to me. So I was suspicious of it, and I just let it sit for eight years. I, I had to make a living. I mean, in that eight years, I went to Wall Street for six years, saved up enough money to have some freedom for a while. And then I came back to the idea, and I thought, you know, if, what am I going to do with my life? Um, I could go on on Wall Street and make more money, but, you know, I, I wasn't hugely wealthy, but I had enough to live on. But more, rather, rather than making more money, I, I was always interested in changing the world, saving the world or something. And I thought this was the grain of an idea that could grow into something important and interesting. Potentially, this could be important if the, if the idea was right, which I was still skeptical of. But... I thought about it a couple of times and I thought, you know, maybe it is right. You know, maybe somehow people are missing something and nobody's really thought of this. So I, I quit my Wall Street job. I traveled for a year, settled in San Francisco and got a computer. The, the World Wide Web was just getting going then. It was set in 1996. Um, I, it wasn't my area, really. This corporate politics thing. I was more of a mathematical investments guy. It's very different from the politics of the border. I sort of didn't want to think about it. But I was drawn into it by this problem. And so I had, the first thing I had to do was just try to learn about that field, which was called corporate governance, a phrase I'd hardly even heard of back then. But I went on the web and I went corporate governance search. You know, and I found the first website, you know, it was in the early days of the web. Someone had made a website on that. I studied it. And I was wondering, you know, this idea I had out of my field, really, which I, and which I suspected maybe just wrong. If I Once I studied this field, would I find, A, that someone else has already thought of it, right? Because it's not my area. Or B, no one's thought of it, but once I understand corporate governance, I realize what a lousy idea it is, you know, possible. So I spent six months and I studied what I could, and, and I, found, I couldn't find anyone else who had it. But the more I understood about the field, the more I thought, no, this idea looks pretty good. So then I rolled up my sleeves and started writing a paper about it. But, you know, I'll try to develop it, explain it, publish it, and get it out there and see, you know, get some discussion, maybe get some on it. So that's what I did in 96, 97, published it in 97. And by the time I published it, I thought, yeah, this is a cool idea. This is great. You know, I'm going to publish it. People are going to read it. They're going to say, good idea. Let's do it. So I published it. And I waited and nothing happened, you know. And I thought, hmm. But now, um, and so I, but I had a publication, I discussed it with some people, took it to some professors I knew, and we kicked it around, and, you know, plus and minus. In the end, I still thought it was a good idea. I developed it further, published more papers. I bought some shares in companies and submitted it as a proposal. In the United States, if, if all you need is $2,000 of stock for a year. And you can submit a 500-word proposal and get it voted on by all the other shareholders, even in Microsoft. 
you know, which I did. Um, so I started doing that just to get the idea out there to more people. And I thought I could get some support. The other shareholders would say, yeah, you know, we're in the dark here. This would be good for us. Let's vote for this. And let's make it happen. Um, I thought that would happen, but that didn't happen. Um, you know, in the U.S., a lot of the shares are owned by mutual funds and pension funds. I thought they would support it, but I was wrong. So after pushing at that for some years, um, you know, many times stopping and thinking, Mark, are you wasting your time? Is this, you know, not such a good idea after all? There are a lot of experts out there who tell you you're wrong. Um, so I really had to question myself a lot, um, about once a month. <laughs> and, you know, whether it's because I'm just stubborn or blind or maybe I'm right, who knows? I kept going. For various reasons, I moved back to my old hometown five years ago, five years ago now. And um, by that time, I, you know, even while I was working in the corporate area, I realized there was a parallel issue in democracy. Very similar issue. Um, you've got people with votes, they're very scattered in their power, but together they have a lot of power, but they're not very well informed. Very similar. And, but, I, but my specialty, my training was in corporations. So I had naturally concentrated there, and I, I thought, well, we'll make something happen here, and once we figure out how to make it work here, then we'll translate it over there. That's what I thought for some years. But then when I kept hitting a brick wall over here, I thought, gee, well, I might as well look over there. I got nothing better to do. I'm not getting anywhere. Um, so I started doing that, and by that time, yeah, I was living here. Um, I started reading about, you know, what does this look like? What are people saying over in politics? What are people saying about the information? You okay? Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to find yeah. a good balance shady, there. Shady spot. There we go. <laughs> yeah, what are people saying about the information process that feeds into voters? This is not only the media, it's also really political campaigns. And so how does money now affect the media and political campaigns? And how does that affect the information that hits the voters? And how, that, how does that affect how they vote? And how does that affect our governments? Um, and what are people saying about what's wrong? I mean, other, you know, other people with perhaps some parallel ideas to what I have. You know, there are many people who critique this whole process in media and in political campaigns. The role of money and um, the lack of insight, you know, the, the polarization of political debate. There are a number of issues like that that all relate to this. So I started reading about what people there are writing. And, you know, over the years, even though most people disagree with what I said, I found enough grains of agreement and grains of, you know, someone with a parallel idea, even in the corporate side. After I published, a couple years after I published, somebody at Stanford told me, hey, there's a paper, these two guys in Germany have written this paper that's similar to yours. And I found it, and sure enough, they were on the same thing. It gave me some confidence. And there's some smart people out there with some similar ideas, so maybe I'm not so crazy after all. <laughs> so that helped keep me going. And one of my old colleagues at Berkeley, senior guy, very well respected, 
you know, when I first explained the idea to him in about 1997, he said, Mark, that's a good idea. Oh. <laughs> so there's enough like that. And then on the political side, same thing. Um, I look at some of the critique of media, um, why existing media isn't good enough, aren't good enough. Um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, their political, their, their help with voters and what's missing in the mainstream media. Um, there's a lot of critique there, and, and some of the critique parallels my, what I had seen over on the corporate side. And some of the proposals for reform in, in campaign finance, for example, a book came out in 2002 in the U.S., written by two Yale professors of political science and law, called Voting with Dollars. Sound familiar? Sounds like what I'm doing, you know? Um, and they proposed, they were looking at campaign finance, and they said, you know, there's a lot of bribery, essentially, you know, just, you know, legalized bribery in campaign finance, you know, I'll give your million dollars to your campaign, you do something for my corporation, we'll make money, and if we won't tell everybody all about it, you know, I mean, you know, my corporation will benefit, your campaign will benefit, and, you know, there's a lot of that. And their proposal, I mean, one, a lot of laws try to restrict that. That's difficult to do. Another approach is to add some, quote, honest money to the, to the mix. And that's and they propose letting every U.S. voter have 50 bucks of public funds, not to put in their pocket, but to allocate to political campaigns. The idea being that that would be, you know, for every U.S. Voter, that's a huge amount of money, billions of dollars. But that would be a counterweight to all this sort of bribery type of funding. That way, you could have some more democratically motivated political campaign, democratically supported political campaign. Sounds kind of like what I'm doing. It has a family resemblance. So that too gave me more confidence. Here I spent some time, I don't know if you read my latest paper or my other paper, I mean it's pages and pages, so I don't expect you to, but um, depending on how you design it, you're transmitting different incentives to the media. This is a bit of a subtle point, I don't know if I could explain this on the fly, I've done it better in writing I think, but um, what I would call the voucher system, if you let each individual allocate a chunk of public money, independently of everyone else, you'll still get polarization of political debate. Um, it won't pull people to the center. What, what the way I'm allocating money in my contest is, it takes a consensus vote to get any money at all. Like you see some of the people down at the bottom of my, of our rank, getting zero. Some people are voting for that, but not enough. Um, and I think what will tend to happen is the more polarized, like if you think, for example, of left and right, you know, somebody way left or somebody way right, it's only supported by 10% of the population. We'll end up at the bottom of the ranking and get nothing. You could, there's a long debate over is that a good thing or a bad thing. But I think we have enough of that already, enough polarization already. And I've designed a system that will pull more towards the center. I think it will still support, and we can see it, you can see it still supports quite a difference of left and right. But it gives them a little pull towards the center, saying, you know, you can't be way off on your own and only please 10%. That isn't going to cut it. You know, if you want to get some public funds, you're going to have to get support from a higher percentage than that. And what I'm, the kind of political system I'm trying to play towards is a system where, rather than dividing us into a left camp and a right camp, which you see sharply in the United States, here we have multiple parties, but still you see it, 
I'm really, I'd like to see more of us. I'd like to see more voters in the center. I think the, the ones who are non-aligned, the swing voters, they're really important. I think that, that territory in between left and right is really important territory, and I want to support that area. And um, I've designed it in a way that will do that. About 2005, three years ago, I figured out, hey, you know, if I can find a democracy small enough, I could pay for this myself. I have enough money. You know, I'm not, I'm not George Soros. You know, I can't take on a whole country. But if I can find a small democracy like the Student Union and give them a few thousand dollars, um, I could make this happen just by paying for it myself. I mean, the long-run model is this should come from government funds, basically. In a democracy, we pay for media. Nationally, we pay for the CDC, quite a bit of money. And this is just another way of doing that in a way that I think will add something that we don't have now. Um, and student unions, most of them pay for a student union's paper. This is a way, it's sort of a competitive model for the CBC or for a student newspaper that says, here, we're going to set aside this much money. We invite anyone to try to you know, provide some information services to voters and compete for this money. Blogging is so great because it's cheap. You know, anyone can just sit down and blog for nothing. And um, almost all voters have access to it now, in, you know, in this country anyway. Um, so it's a sweet opportunity for me and for this idea. Um, so it's, I feel very lucky to be doing this at this time. Um, so it's an alternative, it's alternative, competitive media in politics for the public interest. About two years ago, this time, um, I had pitched the student council at BBC. They said, hmm, interesting, let's try it, you know, since it's free for us, you know. Um, and so they, they created a committee to work with me and figure out, you know, exactly how should we do this. We sat down in the fall and figured out some, some ways of doing it. It, it. The process of getting going, I found frustratingly slow. But on the other hand, they were doing due diligence, right? This is something that had never been done before. It was going to mess with their political system. Somebody was coming in from outside, okay, an alum, with some money, saying, here's the money, let's do something different in your political system. you got to be careful. So they were careful, which was good. Um, and, but it did take longer. I wanted to launch it in about September. Their elections are every year in January. I really wanted to launch several months ahead of the election. But, yeah, I offered them $8,000. And for their January election, I wanted to have some blogging and you know whatever else. It doesn't have to be blogging, you know, print, print papers, um, radio, whatever, um, in advance of their election. But we actually didn't get it launched until practically the beginning of January. It's like instead of four months before the election, it was three weeks before the election. So I was sort of panicked and I started feeling like, oh my God, I'm just throwing my money away here. It's not going to work. But in spite of that, and maybe partly because of that, it actually worked. You know, like it's one thing to earn $8,000 in four months. It's another thing to earn $8,000 in three weeks. Yeah. Let's go, you know? <laughs> um, so suddenly, all of a sudden, we had some enthusiastic people jumping. And we had a frenzy for three weeks. In some ways, too much of a frenzy. You know, in some ways, the electoral candidates felt harassed. You know, and I think they were harassed. 
Um, but we certainly had a, an energetic launch. Um, and one, you know, there were several new blogs popped up to enter this content that had not existed before. One in particular is now called UBC Insiders. I don't know if you've looked at them. You're a blogger. This is Vancouver. Yeah. UBC is part of it. Check it out. They are the leading blog at UBC. You're missing out. Okay. Uh, UBC Insiders. I went to SFU, so. Uh, okay. Fair. Yeah. I, I have tried something at SFU, but I have, I was, yeah, that was a little later. It hasn't, hasn't gone next month. Um, now, they're, some people say they're better than your, your typical student newspaper. They're just funded with a few thousand dollars. The UBC student newspaper gets more than $200,000 per year student money. Um, I gave 8000 for this, and one piece of that, they only came, UBC Insiders only came seven in the first round. Um, because there, it was all one round of voting, that's it. Um, unlike what we're doing now, which I think is better, which is sort of a continuous, you know, every week you can revise, and, you know, you think again, and, you know, um, they didn't have that sort of learning process. They tried to do it all in one shot, and, you know, you can't learn that process. Um, the second year, I think they came second. They, we did this again this past January, and they moved up quite a bit. Because before that, they really weren't known. You know, they, they were great, but only the few who were really paying attention for those few weeks knew it. You know? So as for the Vancouver election blog contest, um, yeah. how did you decide to put certain people on the list? Okay. The general well, they, they principle, <laughs> right, yeah, what are you doing in there? Okay. Um, a general principle I, I have is, I, I try to make this as laissez-faire as possible. Um, so basically, I try to keep the contest open, and I'm not really an active gatekeeper. I have actually, I've made a little effort, like, but typically, if somebody suggests a blog, or if, you know, if Joe Blow starts a blog and says, hey, I've got a blog in Vancouver, I want to be in the contest, I'll say, fine. Um, and that's why, you know, I have a place on the ballot where you can just suggest. I just, you know, I just want to know anybody who's got, you know, anyone who's blogging about Vancouver, I'm happy to add them. And I tried to create it in a way that if the number of bloggers got too big, I'm, I'm, I'm leery of overwhelming the voters. But with this weekly revision of the ranking, that helps solve that problem because if, if I get up to 20 bloggers, I, I'll do something, which I've done, I've tried occasionally in the past few weeks or past few months in Vancouver. I could split the ballot and put have a page two, and put the lower ranked ones on the page two, and have a system where you know you can you can work your way up or you can get dropped down, um, and that way your average voter who doesn't want to read everything and just say okay I'm going to look at the top ten, you know, um, so so to choose basically I try to stay out of the choice process. Basically, it's open. Um, and and the whole question, I guess you saw my blog post, yeah. <laughs> but all of political, how, how political should you be? There again, I view it, you know, democratic. I don't decide, the voters decide. And politics isn't everything, you know. Um, there are plenty of community, things that are important in the community that are not political. Although I could say politics isn't everything. On the other hand, everything is politics. Right? Yeah. I mean, just getting out and enjoying the fun run, or, or sun run, I'm sorry, or, or walking on the seawall, it's political because it's affected by our, you know, to have a great city, it's all affected by what our city council does. I, 
I'm also planning to keep it going, actually, to immediately rename it as a BC political blog contest. Oh. Right after the election, because we got a BC election coming up six months later. So my plan is, I'm not going to miss a beat. You know, we'll just keep going. And anybody who wants to say, oh, I'm just thinking we're not BC, I want to drop out, fine, drop out. And others may hop in. I'd be interested to see more of uh more BC bloggers, or bloggers from outside yeah. of Vancouver, right. you know, Kelowna or, you know, Prince George, anywhere like that. Fine with me, yeah. yeah. So that's, um, that's my plan. So therefore it'll go until next May, at least. So that's one year altogether. Yeah. Maybe. Um, that's about as much as I can afford. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, so it's all coming out of your pocket. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, I've got enough money to live on and kick in a few thousand for this. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, this is my life's work. It's worth it. You know, I'm very happy to have this opportunity. I don't regret it. But my resources are limited, um, and the goal is that people would look at this and say, you know, this is worthwhile. This is this is really in the public interest. It's worth supporting, either from foundation money or, or from government money or both. You know, that's the longer term plan. Yeah, well, that was my next question. I was going to ask if you're where are you going to go from here? Are you going to go yeah. bigger? Are you going to go yeah. federal level point? Or? <laughs> um, but yeah, good question. So my goal is, as I said, to you know get foundation money, government money. My goal also is, um, I'm, I take sort of an open source, open source approach to this whole idea. I haven't, I've never patented or even trademarked anything. Although I tried to trademark one phrase once, but I didn't even get it. You know, <laughs> I forget it. <laughs> um, my, you know, I don't feel the need to own or control this idea. Quite the opposite, you know. Um, I, I would be most happy if this idea sweeps the world or you know spreads as much as possible. And so I would encourage anyone to do this. So I, you know, I that's why I write papers, I publish, I show on the web how I'm doing this. I'm writing this paper now um, called what, How to Create Public Interest Media in Your Democratic Community with the specific idea of taking everything I've learned in this experiment so far, putting it out there in a paper um, and sending it across the world so that somebody in Brazil uh, wants to do something in their democracy and look at this and say, okay, let's try it here. And they can do it there. Um, and, and I would hope then tell me how it's working there and what they learn. And so this whole movement can grow um, and yeah, gain credibility, gain strength, and then eventually tackle the corporations as well. One of my biggest challenges right now is I could sure use some more voters. So, more voters? Voters. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as you know, I, you know I, I tried to make that ballot as open as I possibly could. Okay. If anything, it seems too open. Like anyone can get my vote. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the wisdom of crowds kind of thing, and I'd sure like to have some more wisdom. You know, I, I see, you know, really, I would describe the number of voters we have now as meager. Uh, and I'm actually quite impressed that the system is able to extract reasonably balanced intelligence out of a small group of voters, most of whom are the bloggers themselves and a few of their friends. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, if anything we can do to expand, you know, more friends, non-friends, you know, readers of your blog, other people's blogs, would be great. Like um, a link to the ballot would be nice.
about the words, a little bit more on it. Um, it's fine to vote for your friends, but remember, you can vote for more than one, right? Yep. It's all set up. I mean, there's 300 bucks and maximum prize of 150. So you can vote 150 for your friends, fine. Are you, but why don't you vote 50 bucks for somebody else? And I think in many cases, the winners are gonna be decided by who gets voted second by somebody, right. you know? I mean, everyone's gonna have a small group of their friends, small relative, you know, to others, which hopefully, which may all kind of balance out. But it's the question of, you know, after your friends, who do you vote for? Like, Really yeah. <laughs> yeah, that does um, and that's where you know people like the Thai move up and Francis Bula. You know they're in number two and three spot. Nothing against you, by the way. I love your blog. Okay. I really, it's been an education, um, and it's great to be good for different reasons other than politics. Fine, um, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, this voting system on Twitter. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll just have to try it out. I'm on Facebook, okay? I got, you know, I started a blog and I joined Facebook basically because of these, this project, you know, I suddenly find myself working with university students and I, you know, I sort of have to do what they do, you yeah. know, in order to interact with them. I had to get myself a cell phone and a blog and get on Facebook. Um, but on Facebook, for example, I don't update my status more than about once a year. And then I look at Twitter and I think, oh, this is all about like your status line on Facebook. This isn't going to be interesting for me, you know? But I guess it's more than that. Yeah, it's more than that. I find that, um, like, I have my feed and my subscribers, but I also have a plugin. I'm, I'm on WordPress for my blog. And I also have a plugin, so whenever I post a blog, blog post, it pushes it to Twitter. And it says new blog post and then the link. And I find most of my immediate referrals are from Twitter because I have 1,200 people following me that I'll see that right away, which is I have more followers on Twitter than I have blog or RSS feed subscribers. So, um, if you were to, as soon as you post a blog post on the, on the blog, you can push that to Twitter. People love clicking links from Twitter. And then also just uh, give updates on Twitter of who's number one this week, or you could profile the profile the blogs that are on the list. And because, you know, for the vanity factor, people are like, oh, I got profiled over here. <laughs> and just, yeah, any of those little updates. Great, great. Thank you. Um, so I guess that plugin that pushes your blog post to Twitter, that's pretty simple. It'll be out there somewhere. Yeah, um, my, my friend Rain wrote the one for WordPress. It's called WordTwit. But Word if you're on Blogspot, you can also use, um, I think it's called Twitter Feed. Twitter Feed. And you just put in your blog feed and, and enter your Twitter account that matches them together. I will have to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah Raul <laughs> told me I better join Twitter too. Oh, so. yes. <laughs> I'm not about it. <laughs> okay, great. So, yeah, those are some of my ideas. If you for more voters, because definitely would get help get the word out. Um, anything else? Um, maybe I should ask you something. Okay, sure. Just, yeah. um, so, your husband John, he's American. Mm -hmm. Are you from here? Yep, uh, born and raised in Surrey. Right, right, yeah. A lot of Surrey talent that I'm finding. Oh, yeah. You and um, Paul Hilston. <laughs> Paul Hilston, yep. You know. See, we get such a bad rap. <laughs> I know. That's, we get such know. a bad rap for being from Surrey. <laughs> oh, but it's uh, it's changing. You're mm -hmm. changing it, you know. Um, and you're not the only ones. Who else? Um, there's a couple of people. Um, Stephanie Ryan. You know Stephanie Ryan? She's at UBC. And I think she's running for office in Surrey. And uh, Sean Orr from Surrey, too. Sean Orr, there you yeah. go. <laughs>
There's lots of lots of Surrey cattle. I'm glad this is. I'm not a strictly Vancouver contest. You know, it's there too. I blur that line, even though I'm kind of focused on the Vancouver municipal election. Stephen Reese, I think it's Richmond, Wilson, Surrey. That's fine. You know, because our issues all overlap anyway. I mean, yeah, because for me, you know, I see this as a long run. I mean, I mean, I would love to scale this up big time, and I think that's what ought to happen. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't happen just like that. You know, it's, it takes some effort. So, um, so if if voter media doesn't scale up, then you know, what's what's the grand plan long term for you? Um, well, I'm still trying to uh, get our company off the ground, do more internet marketing, teach companies how they can use corporate blogging, how they can use social media, because a lot of people are still in the dark when it comes to blogs. They think it's all about knitting and cats, and you can't actually use it for anything corporate and serious, <laughs> or for politics. Um, but also I find as a, as a freelance blogger, I guess, that people don't really want to pay a blogger very much. They think blogger is free media, which is great, because it is free, anyone can publish it. But then there are, are those that want to step it up, teach others, and also write and provide content and make a living off of it. Yeah. So it's the whole conundrum kind of, of Creative Commons and open source. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. How do you get paid? You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's amazing what can be done for cheap. But it's a shame to consign all these creative people to poverty. You know, it just doesn't seem fair. Yeah. You know, in broad terms, voter media is about how you pay for creative content. You know, and, and I see, that's one reason I leave it open, is that it can broaden to become that concept. You know, it can start as, and one of the most important creative comments we need is insight for voters. But we also, you know, can be for other types of creative comments. Sorry, I don't like you. Um, who should I make the pick up to? Is that the Baldwin or your, your I'll stop recording now. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, just Rebecca Baldwin. <laughs> Rebecca Baldwin? Yes. Yeah.